Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be looking uh, specifically at verses 11 through 12, although I'll begin reading at verse 9 for uh, further context this morning. As we come to the end of verse 12 this morning, you will see in your uh, pew Bibles and maybe even in your own personal Bibles, if you brought those, that we come to the end of a section we have been following through the book of First Peter. We began uh, with the, the greeting and then a call to uh, live in hope because we have been born again. As with so many of the letters in the New Testament, we begin with the theology of our new life in Christ and all that God has done for us through Christ, laying for us a firm foundation that we must build upon. And from there, then moving into how that affects our lives as Christians. And so you'll see as we move through First Peter, there's a call to be holy. And for several weeks, we looked at what it meant to live holy lives before the Lord. The last couple of weeks, as we've gone into chapter 2, we have seen some metaphors of what it means to live as Christians within the body of Christ. That we are a spiritual house being built up. That we are a priesthood. And even last week, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This week, as we come to verses 11 and 12, we'll see a call to live this life out, this identity that we have, rooted and grounded in what God has done for us in Christ, manifested in holy lives, and lived out before an unbelieving world, that they might see our good works, and they might glorify our Father who is in heaven. So let us turn now our attention to God's holy word. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting In verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us go to Him now in prayer. Father God, we come to You now at this time and we call out to You. For we know that apart from Your grace and apart from the work of Your Holy Spirit, that our minds and our hearts would remain in darkness. But You have called us out of the darkness into Your marvelous light. So shed abroad the grace of your life into our minds and to our hearts this morning as we come to your word yet again. May you open our eyes, O Holy Spirit, that we would see, that we would hear, that we would live these words. 
We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. What would it look like to live a beautiful life? We don't often ask the question in this way, do we? Usually when we think about our lives, we ask questions like, well, what would it look like to live a successful life? Or what would it look like to live a fulfilling or a happy life? What would it mean to live a useful life or even a simple life? Rarely have I heard someone talking about their desire to live a life that is beautiful. I've never heard a parent say, you know, when my children grow up, what I really want for them above anything else is that their lives would be beautiful before the Lord. But our text for this morning calls us to ask this question. How might we live a beautiful life before the Lord? In verse 12 we read this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now the word that is translated as honorable there has a rich meaning that goes beyond the idea of just being morally correct. The word means an order or a beauty that organically flows from an inner reality. You see, it is a beauty that comes forth as we act according to our design. It's the beauty that you see when an eagle soars on the wind because it is acting according to how God made it. It's the beauty you see when flowers come into full bloom. Because they were created to develop, to grow, and to burst forth in fragrance and color. That was what they were created to do. And so when you see it, it is beautiful. It's even beautiful to see things that we have designed as human, functioning according to how they were made. It's a beautiful thing to see an airplane take off and fly because it was designed to do that. It's even beautiful to see and use a pen that works well. I write a lot. And it's frustrating when a pen doesn't work. But when it has the right weight and it works well and it flows well and it's correct in all that it's functioning to do, it is beautiful. So when we read the word honorable in verse 12, we need to understand that it means something along the lines of the beauty of functioning According to design. So then, what does it mean to live beautifully as a Christian? What does it mean to live according to our design if we have been born again? If we have been recreated with a new purpose? As those who have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable and kept in heaven for us. What does it mean to live a beautiful life as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession? This is what Peter is encouraging the church towards. To live a life that is beautiful. That is a life that is ordered according to the reality of your new life in Christ. This is the aim of every Christian to live honorably, to live beautifully in the midst of an unbelieving world. And what we will see in our text this morning is that to live beautifully, we must live as one who is loved. We must live as one who is foreign. We must live as one who is at war. And finally, we must live as one who loves. 
So first, our text for this morning is calling us that if we are to live lives that are beautiful, we must live as those who know their identity as those who are loved. We see this by the title which Peter chooses to address the church in verse 11. Look there in verse 11 and you will see he calls the church beloved or a less formal translation, you who are loved. Do you realize that as a Christian, you have been so loved by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you have rightly been given a new name. You have been given the title, Beloved. One who is loved. And what else should we be called than Beloved? For the love of God in Christ Jesus has been poured out upon us. In love, the Word of God tells us, God predestined us for adoption. It was His love that compelled the Father to send forth the Son, that the world might believe in Him and be saved. In love did Jesus offer Himself up upon the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And all who are in Christ... All who have been joined to Him by grace through faith have received a love that is beyond even our natural ability to understand. The Apostle Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge. And this is why our mission at Rivermont is to see the renewing of lives through God's compelling love in Lynchburg, in the world. Because the love of God in Christ is of such power that it completely changes our identity. It completely renews our lives. His love takes us from guilty to innocent, from stranger to son, from far off to near, from enmity and war to love. And to live a beautiful life, we must live a life that has been renewed by God's love towards us in Christ. You can't go anywhere with Christ until you get this settled in your heart. And you can say of yourself, not just that God chose the elect before the foundation of the world, but that God chose me before the foundation of the world. Not just that Jesus died for sin, but that you can say truly in your own heart that Jesus died for my sin. Not just that we are sons and daughters of God generally, but you can say of yourself, I am truly a child of God, loved by my Father. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Have you forsaken your sin and unreservedly yielded yourself to Christ alone for your salvation? For if you desire to live a beautiful life, then you must begin with this identity. Loved by God. For once you have tasted the love of God, it will change all that you are and do. As many of you know, Pastor Eubank and I spent the last week in England 
We were meeting with many of the missionaries that we support, and most of the missionaries we met with actually came right here from these pews that you are sitting in. Men and women who were once where you are, but were compelled by the love of God to give their lives to the missionary service abroad. Now, while we were in England, there were several times that I realized how foreign Brett and I looked. Now, England isn't that different of a country from our own. Nevertheless, there were times when we would stick out as tourists, our foreign, our as others. Whether it is our dress, wearing you know baggy jeans, when all the other men looked like their jeans were painted on, they were so tight. <laughs> or when we were obviously lost on the metro, or taking pictures of random buildings that we thought were ancient, but to them had been you know, just built a couple hundred years ago. Why are you impressed? The biggest giveaway that we were foreign was when we spoke. As soon as we opened our mouth to ask a question or to make a comment, the locals would look at us and ask, are you American or Canadian? They knew that we weren't from England. And they had to know, where are you from? Now, Peter sees this dynamic as a way of explaining How we are to live lives that are beautiful. Look at verse 11 again. He says, Beloved, you who are loved of God, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The first thing that we need to know is that we are loved. But the second thing that we need to know to live a beautiful life in this world is that if we are loved, it has changed us so that we are no longer home here, but we are foreign. Our country of origin is heavenly. Even though we were born in America or England or Germany or Korea or somewhere here on earth, all of those who are in Christ have been born again by the will of God the Father. And therefore your life, your habits, even your speech should be such that it reflects that your origin is now foreign. It is different. You see, the incongruity of an American trying to act British isn't beautiful. Right? A few times, Brett and I found ourselves slipping into a British word or a British accent, but it just didn't sound right coming from us. And maybe, you know, I would go over there and think, man, they sound really intelligent. You know, a Presbyterian pastor, he should speak with a Scottish accent. And this morning, maybe I came up and just started speaking a Scottish accent to you. That would be weird, wouldn't it? You'd be like, what is David doing? He's not Scottish, he's American. He should act like it and he should speak like it. And what the Apostle Paul is teaching us is that we who have been adopted into the family of God are foreign to this world. So we need to stop living like this world is our home. We're from another country. We are from a heavenly one. And therefore, our lives need to begin to reflect the reality that we are exiles and sojourners in this world. And I wonder, is there a noticeable difference between your habits, your words, and the habits and words of the world in which you live? Does your joy and hardship confuse the doctor's 
Or do you act like everyone else who is in the hospital? Does your accountant wonder what kind of person gives their money the way away the way that this person does? Do your classmates think that you are weird? Or a kiss-up because you don't speak ill of your teacher behind their back, but you use your words to bless. Do you live in a way that reflects that your hopes and dreams and faith are in God and not the world? You see, if the world can't tell that you are foreign, then you need to ask yourself, am I living like I'm an exile? Or am I living like this is my homeland? Am I putting on a fake accent, speaking one way at church and another way in the world? For it is beautiful when the reality of your heavenly birth manifests itself in a heavenly life. When the beauty of God's holiness becomes the mark of your life and the beauty of all that you do. For to live a beautiful life, we must live as one who is loved by God, that that is our identity. We must live as one who is foreign, not from this world, but a heavenly land. And next we see that we must live as ones who are at war. Again, verses 11 and then into 12. Loved of God, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, those who are home here, or at home in heaven, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. There is a two-front battle that is described in these verses that we have to be aware of if we would live lives that are honorable before an unbelieving world. The first front is the battle of the flesh. You see, those who are in Christ have been born again. We have the Holy Spirit. You cannot proclaim faith in Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you have been born again. You have a new nature. But that does not negate the fact that your flesh still has the marks of the fall upon it. And therefore, your flesh wages war against your spirit, is continually trying to pull you into sin, trying to live your old life. For every Christian struggles with sin. The enemy tries to make you think you're the only one that's at war, but you're not. All of us have struggles with sin. We want to trust in the world for our security. We trust in our money. We trust in our strength of arms. Or our flesh has sexual desires and seeks sexual pleasure apart from God's uh, commands of covenant marriage. And we give in to things like premarital sex or pursuing images that we think will satisfy these lusts. We give our minds over to the comfort of anxiety, believing that our fear will keep our children safe. We give in to anger, believing that our hearts will get what they desire as we threaten others into getting our way. But these passions of the flesh are no longer according to your new nature. For they are waging war against your soul. 
Damage is being done to your heart and mind as you give yourself over to such thoughts and feelings. And I know the world says we cannot control this. And of course, we all struggle with thoughts and temptations that are disheartening, discouraging, or even downright disgusting. But will you passively give in to these, saying, well, that's just who I am? Or will you take hold of the reality of your new birth in Christ and fight against the passions of the flesh? Will you bring your mind into submission to God's Word? Will you daily fight the battle and say, that thought, that emotion, that desire is according to my old fallen nature. But I have been loved by God and I am no longer a citizen of that country. Therefore, it doesn't have power over me. We must realize that Christ did not just die to give His people forgiveness of sin, He died to give them freedom from sin. So we must fight it. You must be who you were reborn to be. Now the second front of this battle is external. The verse says that we are to live honorably among the Gentiles, even as they speak ill or evil against us. Now, Peter uses this term not to speak of ethnic Gentiles in comparison to ethnic Jews. Rather, Israel is those who believe in Christ. And Gentiles are those who are outside of Christ, irrespective of your physical descent. Right? We are now heavenly citizens. Our physical descent no longer is our defining factor. And so Gentiles are unbelievers. And so we see that as we live as aliens before unbelievers, there is a natural response of fear. This is what we call xenophobia. That is a fear of what is foreign. You see, the Gentiles, unbelievers, are scared because they don't understand why we live the way we live. They're suspicious of how an exile might change his country, his culture, or even his job prospects. And so it's no surprise that the world is suspicious of us who are citizens of a heavenly nation, exiles and sojourners in this world. They see how we live or how we speak, and they accuse us of being evil. They say, you're judgmental. You're being closed-minded. That's hate speech when you speak out against same-sex relationships. The world ridicules us for believing that God created the world. The world ridicules us because we believe that life is beautiful and we seek to protect the unborn from being murdered. But to live a beautiful life, we must resist the temptation to fight against those who would speak evil against us. But rather, we are to trust God to fight this battle. We are to trust our Heavenly Father and ready ourselves for the coming ridicule and slander and not wage war the way that the world does. You see, there is a beauty when God's people trust their Father in the midst of their struggle. When they don't give their trust over to human institutions or to personal power, but live out their call to love even their enemies. For we are to live as those who are at war, but we don't fight like the rest of the world. 
For we know our battle is spiritual and must be waged through the weapons of prayer, trusting God's word and love of our neighbor. And as we wage war in this manner, in this heavenly manner, we will live a life that is beautiful to the Lord. For to live beautiful lives among an unbelieving world, we must live as those who are loved. We must live as those who are foreign. We must live as those who are at war. And we must live as those who love others. You see, we are born of God's love so that we might love. This is the organic beauty of design that comes forth in our lives. We were born of love. And therefore, we are to show love to the world. Again, look at verse 12. We read, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right? Live beautifully before unbelievers so that when they speak ill of you, when they speak evil of you, they will see the beauty and the love of your life. And they will be converted through the love of God to submit to Him. What is the motive for a beautiful life? To whom is it aimed? Well, first we see it's aimed at unbelievers. We are to live beautifully so that those who don't believe might see our good deeds and turn to the Lord in faith. That phrase, the day of visitation, most likely is actually not a reference to Christ's second coming. Our minds might go there quickly, but we realize that in the surrounding context, it's probably a reference to God's gracious Presence, Even as we recited this morning in our call to confession, that when the Lord is near, we are to turn from our sins. And so when the Lord comes near to those who do not believe, our acts of love towards them will turn them to the Lord in faith. You knew that God was near in your life when you came to Him. And there are times when the Lord will come near to our enemies and they will see our good deeds and turn to Christ in faith. And this need not be limited. Our lives of love to extremes of martyrdom. A beautiful life is seen in such acts as showing care to a student who's struggling to make friends, in showing great integrity with the way that you handle your finances. We're about to, you know, submit our taxes. Probably most of you have already done it. If you don't know, it's coming up soon. Right? You can show great integrity in the way you do that. And when the world sees that, they'll ask, why? Why? You can get away with it. But you do it for love. You can show love in speaking kindly to those you believe have wronged you in turning your eyes away from sexually suggestive images when you're watching TV and serving the community on your day off and sharing the gospel when it be more comfortable to remain quiet and taking the ridicule of others, not as an assault on your worth, but rather knowing that you are loved by God. Hearing those words spoken against you, saying that man is evil. Not saying, oh, that's my worth. No, I am loved in God, therefore I can love those who speak evil against me. 
A beautiful life comes to full maturity when we love those who hate us. When we love others and lay our lives down in love that they might know Christ. You see, a beautiful life comes forth when we love our neighbor. And then we see in our text that ultimately it comes forth when we love our God. For our great purpose is to bring glory to God. Our great motive for sharing Christ is that God would be glorified. And a life that is beautiful is a life that is lived as an outgrowth of our purpose. To glorify Him. For when an unbelieving world sees that we live for God's glory and not our own, when they see our good deeds are motivated out of more than praise of men, but for the praise of God, then they will see the great beauty of our Lord. Now some of you here may have heard or read the story of a Bulgarian pastor, Hristo Kulichev, I'm not sure if that's right. I don't have a Bulgarian accent. On January 9th, 1985, he was arrested and imprisoned for preaching in his own church. What a crime. He was tried and sentenced to eight months in prison. Now, I think that it would be quite easy to become discouraged. I mean, as a pastor, it's easy to get discouraged when the session votes down an idea you have or when a member of the church gets angry at you for not doing what they believe you should be doing. I know that each of you have run into opposition and struggles when you're trying to see the name of Christ magnified. Maybe a threatening word from a supervisor or ridicule of a family member. But to have the state come into your church and arrest you and throw you in prison could send you into depression and despair. But as those who have been born again, these are actually opportunities to show the love of Christ and to glorify God. We rejoice in our sufferings because it's an opportunity to live a beautiful life. To see those who speak ill of us turn to Christ in faith. And so this pastor sought to make Christ known during his time in jail. When he was finally released, he wrote, both prisoners and jailers asked many questions. And it turned out that we had more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in our church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. Would you take up such a call today to live out the reality of your new birth and the hardship of the situation that God has placed you in? That when hardship comes into your life, you don't say, oh, the Lord has abandoned me. Oh, I'm going to give over to despair. But say, no, this is what I was created for. To show the love of Christ that God might be glorified among the Gentiles. Would you walk in a knowledge of God's love? Would you live as a citizen of heaven even though you dwell on earth? Would you fight the battle against sin and would you love both God and neighbor for their salvation and His glory? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you now in this time. Lord, and we ask that you would give us the grace to know that we are loved of you even though we are hated by the world. May we love our enemies. May we show the love of Christ 
to all those who would come against us. This week, I pray that each of those who are here this morning, as they run into frustration and hardship and roadblocks in their lives, that they would see it as a God-appointed opportunity to show forth that they are not of this world and to love. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.